0: Good morning. Good afternoon, wherever you're in the world. In the world, this is from Bricktown. Dad, how you doing? Wonderful. Still breathing. Getting 77. I'm still still kicking. Still well, like driving. Still getting around. Got aches and pains of an old guy, but other than that, I'm fine. Well, listen. The uh, the NBA is 75 years old. Okay. So I guess the NBA was, was created about the time you were born. I guess so, yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah. I think that God knew, hey, the best basketball player is about to be born. Let's create a sport for him. Yeah. That brings up uh, some of the things I wanted to talk about today. Uh, Holcomb Rucker, who is a parkie and a park up in Harlem. Where they played basketball, the pros would play in the uh, summertime. Before they had summer leagues like they have now, they'd play up there in various teams or, or just groups, and would attract basically thousands of people up there. And in there, you saw a number of playground legends. By that I mean people talked about them, and some, and the pros at those times did not NBA did not let them come and play. Some of them played in the Eastern League, which was the semi-pro league that was down. I think I'm not sure if the Eastern League is still playing, in fact. But some of them were playing in that, and uh, one of the people I worked with, uh, I think it was Robinson, I guess, who was was a parky there for a while. He got caught up in one of the scandals up there, so he never went to the NBA. But he could play, no question. You know, he was my boss for a while, and... uh, but, you know, I think of people like uh, Jackie Jackson, you've never heard of, probably. He could jump so high, he could take a quarter off the top of the backboard. And uh, we're talking about, you know, an outdoor brat backboard, which was pretty high. Then, of course, there was, uh, Will Chamberlain used to play up there. Uh, and a lot of other people were playing. Most of them were playing. Will huh? Wil- the Stilt. Huh? Will the Stilt. Will the yes. He would play up there. So you saw Wilf was still? Yes. Now, did he have a thousand ladies with him? No, actually, he didn't. I never saw him with any ladies. <laughs> and later on in life, I mean, he never got married to anybody. Uh, but Wilt was, uh, he was a player. He was just so different than the big men you see today. He was just not as good as the ones you see today. And... M. Breed or some of these other guys or the Greek Freak, those guys. He's not as good as those guys. That whole generation of big men now that you see now can do so much more than Will could ever do. And Jackie Jackson, they would never let him, for whatever reason, into the pros. But he could jump to the top of the backboard. And there was a whole number of people like that that were, they played in the Eastern League, which was the the semi-pro league that people played in. Uh... In fact, one of the places they played was in was Pennsylvania, which is where Will Chamberlain uh, played against the Philadelphia 76ers and scored 100 points, if you can believe that. Uh, nobody else on the team scored almost anything, but he scored 100 points. And a uh, crowd in front of absolutely nobody. Even though everybody says they, they saw it, but they really didn't. Uh, that was during a time when I was in high school and early in college and so we kind of knew these guys and, and, but I would go up in, and play up there in the Rucker Park and that's what his name Dr. Holcomb Record Now who's died I think his son still runs at the park believe it or not uh, and they, they redid the, uh, the court itself and they, they still have big summer, summer, summer league teams up there now it's a much bigger thing because there's stands and everything else but when I was up there everybody stood up and, and watched it and the pros would come down from the Knicks and the other kind of and come and play. And it was uh, they played us the semi-pro guys, but the semi-pro guys, most of them, never got a chance. Uh, there's a whole lot of playground legends, legends actually became drug dealers, among other things, who never really got a chance to make it in the pros because they didn't go to the right college or whatever. The pros were very restrictive on a lot of things about. Who could play? Who couldn't? It wasn't ability like it is now. So a lot of the guys that you see now playing would never have been allowed to play in the NBA before. James Harden is among among them. I think comes to mind. You know, I think he's the greatest shooter that's probably ever been. Uh, he better than Steph? Oh yeah. James is the better, better, better shooter than Steph ever was. And Steph's a great shooter, no question. Him and his brother are great shooters. As a family, nobody ever shot as good as him. But then again, their daddy was was a good pro, great shooter, and that's that's hereditary. But they really could, you know, th- th- you know, shoot. And uh, but some of the other guys, like uh, you, taking hard, you <laughs> taking James Harden over Steph? Oh yeah, no yeah. question. Uh, because he does things that James that that Steph really doesn't do. He stops on a dime and. Wherever he's at is it's going in from fifty feet. Steph's very much you well, have to he has to go to his spot and get it. And get it off. He's a much bigger player, by the way, Steph is. Uh but and uh, probably a better defender than Steph is. Stephanie really doesn't defend against anybody. Uh, but he's his both of the Curry brothers are great shooters. Uh, that's that's hereditary. They really are sh- shooters, but and in the old days, you know, we, we had guys like Jackie Jackson who could jump and shoot and everything else, but it, the pros, would, for whatever reason, didn't want him. You have less chances of that. All the guys that are in the NBA now would never have been allowed in the NBA as I was growing up. They were very exclusive about who could come in and who couldn't, and you had to go to the right schools and this and that, and otherwise you couldn't go. And then they would, they would fix who could, who could draft them or whatever. When Walt Bellamy was in college, I think it was at Indiana or at Purdue, one or the other, they were really, uh, didn't want the Knicks one, been, and eventually they ended up getting him. But he was nowhere near the pro he was in college. Or Jerry Lucas, who also ended up at Knicks at one point. But there was a big draft about him. He was about eight, But really couldn't jump. But he, he, took, he took Ohio State to the National Championship game twice, and I think they won it once. Uh check was the sixth man on that team and he was actually a better pro he played for the Celtics for like 15 years made the Hall of Fame he was that good but uh, he made it the, the, the NBA basically is a defensive player uh, that whole NBA game was so different than it is now I mean they beat the hell out of you up there in that league I mean it was just a, a very rough league to play in uh, versus now it's, if you touch at somebody it's a foul they protect the players a lot better than they did then. Uh, I, know, I was up going. I was in college then, and, and I knew the, a lot of the college coaches and everything. And uh, the garden was just so different than it is now. It was, of course, the theme are in a different building. The MassScore Garden we see now is, is a different building than when I was growing up. And that and since they started the name Madison Square Garden it's been in like three or four different locations in New York City because it's an old location uh, in New York from the you know, early 1900s basically or early 20th century but you know that, that was just how basketball has evolved if you look at it now it's just a whole different game and the defenses are just so different you know did, as, as a college basketball coach you know, you weren't allowed to hit anybody. When I, when I was when I was coaching, and, and you can't really do it now either. But earlier, when it was a slugfest, when I was going through it, it beat the hell out of you as you go through there. And then in my first pro game I played in, I couldn't believe how much people were hitting you, and, and reveries weren't going nothing. That was just a, thats a, just a whole different game. Hold on, oh, no, tell, me, tell me about this pro game that you played and What team was that for? I was playing for the St. Albans Collegiate, you know, my own team. So we went somewhere in some league to play in. It was a semi-pro league, and they just beat the hell out of us. And, and what position were you playing at? I was a guard. I always played guard. You was a point guard? or you, you I was, was, was the point guard. You was a point guard, okay. So how many assists did you average? I always had a bunch of assists. I was a great, great, you know, assist man. I was not a bad shooter, really. And I could really drive and I had my I had my, my funky little shot, as they always say. Uh, I had a shot that I'd wheel around and do a semi hook shot. It's very difficult to block it. So what what the some of the pro guys would do, they would just hit you halfway through it, and you not to knock your shot off. And a lot of the officials wouldn't call it. Oh man. They wouldn't call you a foul there? Yeah. No. So you just missed the shot? Oh, you just missed the shot, yeah. The pro game play, was, was so different. Now, you know I mean? Well, the pro pro game was so different than it is now. There's contact in the pro game also, but it's nowhere near like it used to be. I mean, you get mugged. So you're saying if, if they called it like they do now, you would basically be an NBA Hall of Famer? I wouldn't say I'd be a Hall of Famer, but I could have played. I'll say that. I uh, was checking. Yeah, that's just checking, I know. My son always checks. I noticed that uh, when I talked to, to my granddaughter yesterday, she said somebody in a teaching class had talked about my time being mayor. And I think that was, that's, that's, I need to go and talk to her class at some point. yeah. Like yes. I spoke to my other granddaughter's class uh, in uh, Minnesota. About a month and a half ago. And uh, it's fun talking to young people. They need to, they need to know where they came from and what's going on and how the world is different now than it was then. And that's a good thing. And, she uh, was so excited. The kids were like, oh, my gosh, your grandfather was the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we did the town of Carver, as it is now, is as I changed it into what it is now. From you know park, you know basically parks and recreation, to the Carmel Mall, to the bus system they have. Remember, the main bus system in Chapel Hill, Carver is the route that I drew on my kitchen table, and that's the main bus system. And and without Carver, there would be no bus system. And I had to blackmail the. University of North Carolina to get them to help pay for it. And they, they were reluctant to do it, and they said they not do nothing. And I remember on a Friday, uh, I remember talking to the provost, and he told me to go to hell, basically, and we put out 3,000 flyers to all the people, who, all the students who lived in Carver with the phone numbers of the provost, and the president, and the, all the deans, and that Monday, the provost was some city hall, so I'll give you whatever you want because none of those people could, could use their phones because they got thousands of phone calls. But people said, why don't we have a bus system? And that's one of the things you had to do in those days to have community action or action to get things done. The whole thing of interaction of the city of, of Carver and Chapel Hill with the school, with the university was just so different it is now. It's, it's much better than it was, but it's a different the university has, has expanded well beyond where it was when I was there. Uh, it's got, you know, two three satellite campuses, because you really couldn't expand any further than what it was physically. It occupied most of Chapel Hill anyway. But now they've moved it to do a couple of satellite places and everything else, and it's very much expensive than it was before. But um, I would advise everybody if they had an opportunity to go to Chapel Hill, the university to go there and do that. I hope, hope Jada goes. You, you went. And, you know, my point on that is I wanted all my kids to go. Your brother went for a while. And, uh, you know, all of this is, uh, when you look at the universities, I, when I was there, I also took a couple classes over at NC State, which was a whole different atmosphere. I didn't like it like, very much. It was open NC State. The whole atmosphere was completely different. And it was at Chapel Hill. I did, did take some courses over at Duke. I got my my doctorate at UNC Greensboro, which is also very different. Each university campuses would in North Carolina is just very different. Each one, of each of them has a different ethos and a different vibe. Uh, but you know, I, I'm glad I got most of my education in North Carolina at that time. And it still, it's the best place to get education, I think, for most people. Don't you say anything, Mr. Tohill? Hey, uh, you know, Carolina has some some equity issues, but I got a good education. But that's my point. It, it, we we had to yell at them for you and for me, but they did the right thing at the end. Don't do the right thing at the end, but they did, and uh, I was very proud of going to Carolina, and I'm very proud that you went and graduated. You're. Doctoral defense there, and uh, the professors were, were very very diverse. I like that, and, but I didn't have a diverse set of doctorate committees. And at that time, when I was really going through, they were very strict about how many black Jews were they going to allow through. I remember when I was uh, an undergrad, uh, the president, with McNeil Smith, who was a big dean. And I think Texas Southern, he said there was a quota among how many doctors, black doctors, they allow in the whole country. And it was only like 50. They were allowed in the entire country. It was like an unwritten pact. So that whole world is so little different now than what it's been. Uh, and so I, so I looked through Vanderbilt and these other places that, that have a lot of black faculty members, which were not allowed when I was going through. We had very few. I remember in city planning we we didn't have any, and they paid for a a, a professor from Princeton to come down on Thursday, and and basically teach a class for the black students in city planning, city regional planning. There were no black faculty members at that time, and still a a very few. Uh, It was a very prejudice place when I was going through there, but I got through, and we had. A series we had a lot of Ford fellows. Because Ford gave them a lot of money. They had black suits. But all of us got through. Uh, I could tell where the undergraduates had come went to school by the way they dressed. Those of us who had went through predominantly white schools, like I went through Quinnipiac, and, versus some, somebody that went through a historically black college, we were dressed completely different. I was dressed kind of casually, and they were dressed always in shirt and tie, as you were when you went to Bethune Cookman. And there's nothing wrong with either one. They both gave different kinds it. of education. You got to dress to impress, huh? You got to dress to impress, man. I understand, and yeah, I don't I have no problem with it. I think Bethune Cookman did did right by you. You were in the choir there, and some other things, and I thought Bethune Cookman was very good for you. I you where you wanted to go, and that was good. Uh, and you got a good education. You were in the, in, the, in, the, in the special prep thing, and those people all got out and, and left in less than four years in most cases. Uh, and that was good. So I don't, you know, our educations that we've had as as a family is kind of unusual. You know, most of my kids have gotten in and out of college. And I don't have it. And we really have had no real problem with that. There's been occasions like with Bobby that we had to have a discussion with the professor about it. But in every case, you know, they did they did they did the right thing at the end. A lot of this uh, depends upon who your parents were and how influential you were with what was going on, or if you make a mistake about it. And I would make sure I would say that. If you don't get out, we'll do X and Y. And usually that kind of worked out well. I didn't have to threaten them. I just said, we'll just do X and Y and make sure all the newspapers know about it. And so some of the racism that was there was kind of suppressed. But so we're not talking about going back 20 years. So that's all in the past now. It's not, not, not what we do now. So that's different. But, uh, but uh, you know, high red is it, just so different now than it once was then. And when it, when, when, I, when my granddaughters go through college, it'll be completely different again. I have a feeling we're going to be going through a disassembling of college campuses completely. College campuses will be other things than they are now, the vast majority of them. The Ives will probably remember the way they are because they have so much money in the endowment. But a lot of other places that we think of as college campuses won't be college campuses. There may be factories, there may be a lot of other things, but they won't be college campuses. That's, that's what I sense will be going on with, with the higher ed. And then higher ed is just going through, When I was going through, you had to have a college degree to, to get certain kinds of jobs. Even though, even though your degree had nothing to do with what job was going to be. That was a true test, particularly for black students. Uh, that's not the case now. By and, from, by and large, uh, it's very different. That's different for, for the better. You know, I look at what you're doing with Purpose University, and I think that's the way of the future. And I'm very proud of all my kids and what they've done at various times. And none of them are in jail. All of them are doing, doing whatever they, they want to do. Someone like um, one of my older boys, Lars, is opening up his own cabinet shop because he's a cabinet maker. And I've invested in his company because I think it's going to do well. Uh, and he's in upstate Minnesota in a rural part, but he's the only cabinet maker. And a cabinet maker, by the way, is different than somebody who does woodwork. I mean, that's a very specialized kind of field. And so, uh, Lars is doing good with that. That's a good thing. Uh, then uh, of course your brother Chris is a, a heavy equipment operator and he's now a foreman there making six figures doing big doing, doing big time a wonderful house in uh, a little it's called New Canada right outside of Minneapolis it's got a house that you could have in better and homes and gardens so none of the kids are in jail all of them are doing pretty well except for one who's likes to be on her own but that's fine I love her too well dad we're coming toward the end of the show Uh, we talked about a lot today how the NBA has shifted Uh, I did there was one question earlier that we we got in from the audience it was about racism and the NBA the early NBA how, how did racism play a part well actually racism was very big if you didn't go to a big college or American, you didn't get in the NBA, no matter how good you were. And uh, that's why Jackie Jackson was never in in the NBA. I think he had went to one of the small colleges, but until Earl Monroe came in, and he had been, he had been at Winston Salem, and he was scoring a bunch of points in Division Two, and took him to the national championship. No, very few uh, of the black college kids never got even drafted. And he was so good, he got drafted by the Baltimore Bullets. But he really did not become a star as he went to the Knicks and played with uh, Clyde, 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 uh, what's his name, who's still working with the Knicks today. But uh, Earl could, when he was in college, he'd score 50, 60 points in the NCAA playoffs. In Division Two. he was just unstoppable. So I call him Earl the Pearl. He was from Philadelphia, and he could really shoot the rock. And he didn't get any college, college office from any big white schools, so that's where he went. He went to Winston-Salem, in North Carolina, and Big House Gaines was his coach. In fact, Big House Gaines offered me a distant coaching job there at Winston-Salem. I was thinking of going to the faculty there when I got out of college. He said, "I'll make you my assistant. Come on over." And I decided, eventually, not to go, but. Uh, it was tempting this big house was, big house games was a legend he won like 600 games as, as a college coach and uh, uh, but anyway so are, are we are we finished yeah I think I think we're closing out there go ahead and uh, tell the people goodbye adios muchachos love you love